Good morning. Mm. You guys good? You guys all right? It's wonderful to worship the Lord. You know, there is no script. We, we've done everything we can to get away from the script. And um, I am tempted to actually preach on the tabernacle of David right now, but, but I won't. But I will say that on the earth, there was only one time on the earth when there were two tabernacles at the same time. And uh, we may go into this in the coming weeks, I'm not sure, but David built a tent or tabernacle with the Ark of God, but the actual tabernacle of Moses, which was at that point constructed on Mount Gibeon about six to nine nine miles away, where all the sacrifices were going on, and you had two operating at the same time. And David, he saw something in heaven. And what he saw in heaven was worship. And you see a picture of that in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, that worship is musical. Even in heaven, it's musical. And it's constant. And it doesn't stop. It's constant. It's 24-7. And it's all centered around the person of Jesus. So David actually took that and instituted that on the earth. They call it the tabernacle of David or David's tent. And he put the ark there. And there was no veil there. And for 33 years, the exact same length as Jesus' life, as a prophetic looking to what's coming, for 33 years, they worshipped 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They were running teams through there, musical teams. They would raise these people up under the house of their fathers, under chief musicians. They literally would have to get, go to trees and make their own instruments. They would have to go to the school of prophets under Samuel and attend the school of prophets to learn how to prophesy, to learn how to make, it says prophesy with the timbrel, prophesy with the harp, to do what Noah did this morning. Let just play, but let the Spirit of God be on it. I mean, these are actually things in the Bible that the modern world has long forgotten. And they say, you know, there's too much joy, you know. My goodness gracious. This is a serious business freedom. So, I... I'm very grateful to the team, but musical worship and the spirit realm are very closely tied. Amen? And that's wonderful to worship the Lord. And we just try to pick up on what he wants to do and then work in tandem with him. So I'm going to do a week two. If you're visiting with us, this uh, comes out of last week. And, um, but I trust most of you were here last week. And I, I spoke about some stuff last week that may have thrown you a little bit. And that's okay. Um, we're okay with that. But There is a river, the Bible says in Psalm 46, and last week I I said it, and I'm going to say it again, I've tried to not make this a teaching, not necessarily tried, I just want to speak from the heart. I don't have a whole bunch of points coming up, there's just going to be scriptures, uh, because with what we're talking about today, and we're going to trust the Lord for some ministry maybe later, is just something of the heart, something of God's heart for His people and it's been lost in the first world, not completely, but it's when God begins to move and the Spirit begins to move, which we see Him, in a sense, doing. Now, He can always, I heard recently, and I've actually heard it many years ago before, there's, we, we speak of revival, and we pray for revival. There is a personal revival, which you can, in a sense, begin at any time. There is. And there's a partnership with God in it. You can begin to wade into the river of God and into His presence, really, any time you want. 
And the thing that stops that is legalism and guilt. But there's also when God, there's a corporate, when God starts to move corporately, which actually starts when everybody commits themselves in a sense to a personal revival and all those people come together. But then there are times on the earth, which you may all have a different opinion about, where God just says, now. And he moves in different ways. And in those times, the Bible says, behold, I do a new thing in Isaiah. And he says, when I do that, a new thing, it's not going to be like what something I've done before. It's not going to be the old. It's not going to be what you've seen before. Jesus even said, there's new wine and a new wineskin. He said, but everybody who's tasted old wine, wine in the Spirit, in the Bible, in the New Testament specifically, often represents the things of God, the things of the Spirit, the flowing of the Holy Spirit. He says, anyone who's tasted old wine, uh, old wine they prefer that. They're more because they took a while to get comfortable with that, with all the manifestations that happen with that. And they, they're like, okay, I was a part of that move. I know what's going on. I have awareness. So I'm good here. And then God starts to do something. And they're like, well, it's not the Lord because it doesn't look like this. That's in Luke chapter 5. So I do believe with all my heart that God is just beginning to move what seemings is sovereign in all sorts of different places. And it is up to us to prepare our hearts. And we pray. We've been praying for years for the move of the Lord in some of the ways we're just beginning to see. And so I spoke last week. It says here in Psalm 46. I don't think it's actually up behind me this week. There is a, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So the river of God in the New Testament, or actually all through the Scripture, speaks of the flowing of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit, all the things that the Holy Spirit comes to do. It flows like a river, and it can flow extremely strong. So we're going to read uh, Ezekiel 47 in a minute like we did last week. But I said this last week. When that starts to happen, in a church, in a place, in a region. There's often two challenges that I have found, not from the Lord, in our heart. I grew up with this. I grew up seeing God's power, real power, not false, not counterfeit. Experienced it, saw it, it touched me. And yet still when he began to move even through us in the youth ministry or in the church I was before, God would begin to move and sometimes, these, sometimes things happen to people. And even though I grew up in it, I was like, ugh, that's a bit uncomfortable. Hello. It's, it's normal to feel like that. It doesn't make you bad. But there are often two challenges that come up. How we handle or how we react to when the Spirit of God begins to move in a place, in a church, in a group of people, in a home, wherever, how people react, how the church, how God's people react to that, what it looks like here, how we handle that, and how does the river then go from this place or from a person's life when God touches them and actually flows from them out, outside the church walls. Kind of that's the point. Hello? Kind of the point. And often the Lord comes to bring revival because his church is asleep. 
and they wake up. You can't revive something that's not already vived before. It's just basic English. <laughs> so, so uh, last week I gave a lot of examples about when the Spirit of God had really come in moved and touched people. And I gave examples because you can talk out of examples when the power of God hits a person. So I spoke a little bit about manifestations. And I know I said this last week, and this is not what we're going to talk about today. Just really quickly, please, don't chase manifestations. That will make this very unhealthy. Don't chase them. Don't think that manifestations, that's when God's moving. I say that, but friends, it happens in our minds so fast. I know, because I hear all the reports. God was moving. People were falling over. Like, okay. But what was God actually doing in their heart? God can be moving, and you may not even perceive it. Powerfully. Powerfully. And you may not perceive it. Don't limit the Lord. So don't chase manifestations. I, I encourage you. But, you see, we have to understand the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not laughing, falling, crying. He's not doing those things. Those things happen when he touches a person for multiple facets of reasons. Whether sometimes God's just like, huh, let's, I mean, Old Testament prophet, go lay in the street naked. Hmm. People are like, I'm a prophet. Really? I mean, God does some strange things. And it's not for us to ask why, but is it the Lord? Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. Look at the changed life. Not instantly, God touch you next, mind you perfect. God touch them. Look what starts to happen in their life after that. But don't chase the manifestations. Don't. Because the Holy Spirit, that is not Him. That's what may happen. When he, when the supernatural touches the natural, ah, I've seen it many, many times. Happened, happened to me. But he is the Holy Spirit. He is stable, secure, the same, strong, constant. It's the Hebrew word naga, where the naga touch of God touches a person. Daniel said in the scriptures, a hand touched me and I was set on my face trembling. My hands were trembling. The touch of God. And sometimes there are many manifestations in a move of God. Why? Often I found, I don't know because I'm not him. But what I've seen in here, in here and in study is that when a culture or a nation or a, a generation or an era, when people have moved so far from the Lord, there is such a dramatic touch of God because in that moment, he rewires people that 15 years of preaching and counseling study can't do. And he does it at once and people are like, oh, and then they start to, that river starts to flow out of him anyway. Help me, Lord Jesus. Don't chase manifestations. Don't fear the counterfeit. People are like, I just want to make sure. Friends, the Bible says in Luke 11, if you fathers who are evil, meaning not that you like evil people, meaning with a sin, like you're born with a sin nature. If you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the heavenly father will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? 
How much more? We're not going to ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, Lord, Father, give me your spirit. And then be afraid. Is it him or is it something else? Who, who are you asking? He says, he's not going to give you a stone in place of a bread. Why? Because in those days, and I have notes if you want. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I'm told. Don't say that. A bread used to look like a stone, like a round, you know, the one that's baked in the oven. They looked similar. And they actually used to stack stone bread, stone bread, stone bread to cook them. And so he said, it's like a counterfeit. Or, a, or a, a, give you a snake instead, a snake instead of a fish, because there were snakes there that looked just like fish. We have some of them here. And a scorpion instead of an egg. People are like, huh? Well, ancient writers tell you there was a white scorpion there at that time when it curled up. It looked like a small egg. He's, teaching, he's saying he's not going to give you counterfeit. Don't fear counterfeit. Don't chase manifestations, but don't fear the counterfeit. And don't very quickly, don't easily and quickly dismiss something that you don't understand or that makes you feel comfortable and say, that's not the Lord. Uh, and I, I don't want to make people afraid, but I caution you, don't do that. The Bible says don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that's unbelief. But the context of that is what? They ask for a sign. So Jesus gives them a sign by his grace. And he casts out demons and heals. And they say, it's by Beelzebub that you cast out demons. And they attribute the things of the Spirit to the, to the devil. They say, that which you did wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was the devil. It was in that context that he said, ooh, don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You won't be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. People are very quick to say, that's not the Lord. I, I implore you, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't just pass a quick judgment. He's bigger than you, stronger than you, knows more than you, has been around longer than you. He knows that person inside and out. There was a pastor who, a lady was set free and she was dancing in front of the service. Again, something to make you uncomfortable. And she was dancing in a way that was, how should we say, provocative, interesting, dancing to the Lord. And this pastor's like, Ooh, and everyone's like, I'm going to do something about this, dude. So he's walking over there to go and like deal with us. And there was another lady there, wonderful woman of God. And she walks up to him and just grabs him and says, isn't it so wonderful? She was a prostitute for many years. She got radically delivered and set free this week, and she was looking forward to dancing for the Lord. That's all she knew. He was about to go shut that down. We say, Lord, bring in sinners. Oh, they come. And they're interesting. I know, because I was one. I was good at it. Don't fear the counterfeit. Don't be quick to say it's not the Lord. Please, I, I encourage you. Because what we're actually saying then is, he said, you ask, you pray, then I answer your prayer, and you say, not like that. It's actually us saying, God, we want to tell you what to do. It's actually putting ourselves in the position of the Lord. Actually, it was what it is. We're, we're going to tell you what to do and how it must look. No. Never in the Bible has that happened. We okay? 
So, Ezekiel 47, we're going to read a large portion of Scripture quickly, two portions, and then we, I'm just going to speak about a few things out of that. Ezekiel 47 is, as I said last week, is literally, actually literally about when the Lord returns. You see this in Zechariah chapter 14 as well. And there's a millennial reign of the Lord on the earth. He will return. He will, his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives, it says, and he will come back. This is the return of Christ. And in that time, this will actually literally, literally happen where the whole Great Rift Valley, the Bible actually outlines that on the earth. It's from northern Syria, I think, to Mozambique will become a river of God, but it'll flow from the throne. I've stood at the top of the Great Rift Valley, the Kenyan portion. It's vast. But it is also talking about the flow of the gospel beginning in Jerusalem. To think that when the gospel went out, none of the other tribes, nations, tongues knew, or, or languages, or peoples of the earth knew about Jehovah God. And everywhere the river of God went, everywhere the river of the gospel went, it kicked out all the old gods, mythology, and it kicked all that stuff out. It's the power of that river. But this is the river of the Lord, the flowing, the invisible river of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to Ezekiel 47. We read it last week. I'm going to read it again. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, verse 1. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. When the man went out to the east with the line, that's the angel, went out to the east with the line in his hand. He measured 1,000 cubits. It's about a third of a mile, half a mile. And he brought me through the waters. So it wasn't like he were trying to cross. I used to read it that way. He's standing actually at the temple, and this water begins to flow. It just starts there, and it just flows. And he walks like almost half a mile, and he's, he gets water up to his ankles. So he's walking in the river of the Lord. And that's what starts to happen. When you start to walk with the Lord, you, in a sense, your feet need to get wet. That's faith. Just learn to live by faith. Learn to step out in faith. You know that saying, you've got to get your feet wet. Yeah, your feet begin to get wet. And he goes deeper and deeper as he walks, as the river flows. And he says, where were we? Verse 4, and again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. And the water came to my knees. Again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, came up to my waist. And again he measured 1,000, it was a river I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. This is a type of surrender. I know I spoke about this last week, a surrendering to what God wants to do. The funny thing is about this is that the difference is when you can no longer touch the ground, now you're flowing at the pace of the river. When you're standing in the water of God, when you're standing in the things of the Spirit, you get blessed, which is wonderful. But when you surrender and allow the Lord to do what he wants to do, the river actually begins to take you where it's heading. You actually become more about not me getting blessed, which is wonderful, and I trust many will be blessed today. It becomes about what is God doing? What's the point? Where is he going? It starts to shape your mind differently. Verse 7, 
When I returned there along the bank of the river, there were many trees, one side and on the other. Then he said to me, the water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the Dead Sea. Enters the sea, which is the Dead Sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Verse 9, big verse. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. You see how it says rivers, plural? Interesting. If we have time, we'll explain that. Wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there. Therefore, they will be healed and everything will live wherever the rivers go. And then it talks about fishermen standing on the side and trees bearing fruit every month. Now, go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Jesus talks a little bit about this. John chapter 7. Let's read it. Can we read this out loud together? Three verses. You can do it. Yeah? Sorry about my accent. You read it in your accent. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Greek says, for the Holy Spirit was not yet. Doesn't mean it didn't exist. It just wasn't on the earth in that way. So, very quickly, if anyone. If anyone. It's very similar to John 3.16. Whosoever believes. If anyone. Not if special people. Not if apostles. Not if prophets. Not if pastors. Not if preachers. If anyone. Are you an anyone? Hmm. Good. If you guys said no to that, we would have to pause there and deal with that. If anyone. If anyone what? Thirsts. There is a difference between a person being offered water, like when you go to a restaurant. You're like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take some water. Versus a person that is dying of thirst and asks for water. Sometimes the Bible underplays words. It says after Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, it says he was hungry. Yeah, it says if anyone thirsts. What begins to happen is God begins to put a hunger and a thirst in a person or in a group or in a culture or in a place. And it's such a hunger and thirst as to that you start to break cultural norms. You start to let go of your reputation. You start not to care what people are going to think. You must have God. You must have Him. You must get a hold of the Lord. That's what it's saying. If anyone thirsts, and there are many people that I meet that say, I just don't feel that way. You know, you can ask the Lord for that. Lord, make me thirsty. Churchianity often settles for drought. You know what a drought is? A drought is actually a place where there is rain, just not enough. And if I look at what Jesus teaches in the scriptures, the church today is in a major drought. Major drought. We've just become accustomed to it. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come. 
This is not something a person can do for you. I have many people bring, them, bring me their children to pray for their children. I'm always going to pray for them. But at a certain age, I actually stop and I say, do you want me to pray for you? Let him come. No one can do this for you. Let them come. Not to people, to me, the Lord says. Let you go to him. I've had, by the grace of God, many, many people lay hands on me. Some with very big names, in a sense. Just happened to be there in the room. I've not even known, just by the grace of God. I grew up with, I would say, generals in God's army. I mean, I've been blessed that way. But let me tell you, there's something about going to the Lord. That's, yes, but there comes a place where you just, I must go to the source He who believes in me, out of his heart, that word is actually womb or belly. Because when the touch of God comes to your life, it starts to do something in you and something is birthed in you. And sometimes that birth, it can be painful. It's like it's growing inside of you and there's a... And it says, and then rivers will flow from you. Think about that. Out of the life of a believer. Are you a believer? Yes. Are you in anyone? The scripture says that from your life, rivers, remember the plural, Ezekiel? It started as a river, became rivers. What does this say? Rivers. Rivers, in many different ways, of living water will flow from you. could be laying on of hands. It could just be speaking to a person, acts of kindness, many different ways. It's what Jesus said to the, to the woman at the well in John 4, 14. He, he said this, but the water I shall give him will become in him, will become in him. Speaking Jesus saying, if someone comes, will become in him a fountain. You take a drink, you become a river. It's like a contagious spring. If you have something that is a contagion and you touch someone, they have it. And they have it to the degree that if they touch someone, now they're a dispenser of it. We, th we understand that with virus. We don't understand that with the anointing and with the things of the Lord. Jesus said, if you come to me, I will give you water, the Spirit of God. And he will be in you instantly as a fountain. So you will have your own spring wells up to life eternal. You become something. Now you go and you speak to someone and it's like a contagious spring. It touches them. Now they have a spring. Now they have a spring. Now they have a spring welling up inside of them. You take a drink, you become a river. What are the characteristics, very quickly, of the river of God? I'm going to try to go through this as fast as I can. You guys alive with me? we'd like to pray for some people today. What are the characteristics of the river of God, the flow of God's spirit? Number one, and this is not up behind me, just because I don't want to box it. It flows out. Yes, I know it flows in, but it, the direction of the river is out. I will pour out my spirit. The river was flowing out from the temple. Livers, rivers of living water will flow out from you. 
when Jesus was raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of God, Acts 2.33, he poured out the Spirit. The Spirit of God flows out. Out. And often, we are asking the Spirit of God to flow in. Now, he will. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The touch of God, the blessing of God, the anointing, the Holy Spirit touches you. But in that moment, now you have a spring. Now, that river wants to flow out. And I have found in my experience that as you allow yourself to be used as a vessel of the Lord, whether it's small things or big things, whether it's an act of kindness to prophesying over a a president or a king, it, it doesn't matter what it is. As the anointing flows through you, it cleans you. It makes you whole because the river wants to flow out. We disqualify ourselves. Well, you know, if you knew, well, listen, you know, if you knew the people that you think are wonderful, look at Peter. Well, that's why I love Peter. Just a couple of weeks ago, I denied the Lord, and then he raises someone up and heals them. It's like, listen, I just a couple, because the anointing flowed through his life. The Bible says the anointing will teach you. It will teach you actually who God is. His love, his amazing power, his amazing love, his grace, his mercy. And that begins to change you because it is flowing out. It flows out. Yes, it flows in. See, Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 21. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns. That's like a big hole in the ground underneath the ground. They would fall like a reservoir under the ground. They have, for, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns. They would crack. They'd hold no water. I see this with the things of the Lord. I've seen it in my own life. God starts to move. We all run there. That's great. Still do that. It's wonderful. But then the Lord starts to touch us. And what happens is we go... I need this experience, I need the experience they had, I need that to happen to me, I need that to happen to me, I need that to happen to me, and then I will have like a river that can flow out. No, when you got saved, there's a river in you. There is. And what happens is we collect the experiences and how we feel and whatever, and you know, encounters with the Lord, and it's like we collect them in a cistern and be like, now I'm qualified. Living water is not meant to be caught. It's meant to flow. And what that is actually showing us is what? I don't trust him to do it again. There was one ancient city in all of the ancient cities in the world that was never built on a river, Jerusalem. Why? Just like the manna. I'll do it every day. I'll do it every day. I'll do it every day. I am your source. I am your source. I am your source. I am your source. And we're like, I must take it and hold it. Friends, it will flow out of you. That experience will flow out of you. Not because, because we leak. We have the brokenness in our lives. None of us are perfect. The, the damage in the world, the fallen nature of the earth, it'll flow out of you. And we're like, now I need... Again, I need, you know, there's a fountain. There's a river. 
The invisible river of the Holy Spirit never runs dry. And it is the life and power of God himself. That's why Ezekiel said one warning in chapter 47. It's swamps and marshes will not be healed. Why? Because they take water in, but they don't give it out. So we actually have good news. The river of God is in you. But it's in you to flow out of you. Ask the Lord, not how can I get, how can I give? Teach me how to partner with you, Lord. Second, it flows from. Oh, man, we have a whole lot to say here, but I won't say it a whole lot. I'll say it very quickly. Bible says it flows from where? From the temple. What are you? Oh, that's interesting. Corporately, we are the temple. Individually, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the river was flowing from the temple. Please understand this. The river of God flows out of you, not because of you. It flows out of you just because the river has to flow from the temple. When you got saved, you became a temple. That's why. That's the qualifying factor. And what does it say? It says it flows from where? Under the? Who remembers? Ezekiel 47.1. Under the? Threshold. Well, that's interesting. You know the Bible doesn't waste words. You know there is something called in ancient times in the Middle East, and I think in Syria and some places, they still practice this. Something called a threshold covenant or covenant of the door. You know Exodus 12 when it says the blood was in the basin, when they talk about the Passover, they said kill the lamb, put the blood in the basin, and then put it on the doorposts? Can you show that picture? This, you see that little arrow I put there? That is a threshold. It's a place of transition from one place to the other, from outside to inside, from inside to outside. Many ancient houses, many places, they still practice this. The basin, in that Hebrew word basin, is actually the word threshold. Because what they would do is they would have a bowl on the threshold. They would put blood in there. You can go look at Henry Clay Turnbull, I think it is. Henry Clay Turnbull, he has done a whole thing on this. It's excellent, but it's in-depth. But there's something called a threshold covenant. The blood was put there in a bowl on the threshold. And what it meant was, if I step over this threshold, I come into agreement. Remember worship? I didn't plan that. I come into agreement with the Lord. Anything that that blood represents, anything that that blood, it's like a covenant. It's a covenant, the blood of covenant. And the water flows from the threshold. And to go into that person's house meant I come under their authority, I come in, I am making, in a sense, a little covenant with them, I come into agreement with this house. They are now responsible for my protection and my provision while I'm here. That is the ancient practice. When I step out, I step back over, I'm now out from, they are not responsible. The blood of Jesus Christ, before gifts became a big thing, which is wonderful, is where the men and women of old, the generals of God's army of old, they went there for power. That's where power comes from. And he says the, the water, the spirit, the, this invisible river of God's spirit flows from a temple. That's you. Where? From under the threshold. Why? Because that's where the blood is. Meaning what? It's not based on you. 
I have good news for you. You have a river inside of you. Number one. Number two, that river flowing from you is not as dependent upon you as you think. Because if it was, man, it would flow from nobody. It flows from under the threshold. I wish I could go into this, but I won't. This is actually, I believe, what Jesus is, what the scripture, should I say, is talking about in John 7. It has these two weird sentences. On this day, the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out. Well, what were they doing? What feast? It was the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's a whole teaching we could do on that. They would walk, they would commemorate the thing around Jericho. And uh, when you struck the rock and water came out when Moses struck it, who's the rock? Jesus. Water flowing in the desert. And they would commemorate uh, when they would live in temporary shelters. So for seven days they would build these booths with leaves and sticks and branches and willows and palms. And all the pilgrims that would come travel there, they would walk around the altar one time, every for the first, just like Jericho, six days, seventh day, seven times, shouting out Psalm 100, I think it's 113 to 118, Hosanna, save now, Hosanna, save now. And they would take a golden vessel, a golden vessel, and dip it in the water of the pool of Siloam, which comes from a spring, the spring of Gion, it has to be natural water, living water, I mean. They would take a golden vessel and pour it out on the altar and equal part wine, Holy Spirit. Why? And it is then, when they're doing that, Jesus stands up and says, if anyone thirsts, come to me. He's saying, guys, I am the golden vessel, and you can't see it. You can't earn what I'm here to pay for. The flowing of God's Spirit has to come out of absolute 100% perfection and purity before God. So I am here as a golden vessel to die on the altar for your sin so that I can put my righteousness on you so that when God looks at you, he sees me, even with all your junk, so that when the Spirit of God comes inside of you, it flows from the threshold, from the payment that I've made on your behalf. flows from that place, flows from that place. That's why this verse will suddenly make sense. For verse uh, 2 Corinthians, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, in other words, creation, who has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in golden vessels. No! In earthen vessels, in jars of clay, some translations say. What, why? That the excellence of the power. Well, that's a very strange way to say it. It's actually an adjective that has, it's describing what type of power. That the excellence of the power is of God and not of you. But how can it be in an earthen vessel? Because it comes from the threshold. It comes from the blood of Jesus. That is sprinkled over you. You are a temple, so the river has to flow from you. But it wouldn't flow from you if, it's, if the Holy Spirit in you has to lean on your righteousness. It would never flow from you. 
heard a story. And then we're going to have to leave it there and we're going to pray for some people. Heard a story the other week. It was very funny. You know, next week is Palm Sunday when the donkey took the, the Lord into Jerusalem. And I heard a story about this donkey and he came back and he said to his mother, do you know, I'm, I'm very, very important. Very important. And she's like, oh, really? He said, yeah. I went into Jerusalem today. You wouldn't believe it. They started worshiping me. And he's like, and you know what happened next? They took their clothes off, put them on the ground. I'm like, mm-hmm. Just walked over them clothes. And then they started fanning me with trees. And I'm a big deal. And his mother has to say, I'm so sorry, but I hate to break this to you. But it was who you were carrying. And then she said, because any old donkey will do. It means you qualify. You know, any old donkey will do. The Holy Spirit will use you because the fountain must flow from the temple. The river must flow from the temple. He will use you. Any old donkey would do. The new King James calls a donkey an ass. <laughs> any old donkey will do. That's not lack of holiness. No. When the Lord starts to use you, that changes you. More than you asking to be changed. Leave the last one. The river of God flows out. It does. It flows from the blood of Jesus. And the last one is it flows toward. Where does it flow toward? The Dead Sea. Any place where there is death, any place where there is destruction, any valley in your life, the river wants to flow there. Any place where nothing can live, there's no... The river will flow there. And once the river gets there, it says, because the waters go there, everything there will live. Why? Because the waters go there. We have to understand the second challenge. How does the river of God leave this place? Well, where you go, the river goes there. Because you're there. Because the waters go there which is in you. The flow of God's Spirit. Now, could you please, Adriel, could you come, is he around? Could you come play on the guitar? If you need to leave, of course you're welcome to leave. Could you please put away all your Bibles, pens, phones, put them underneath? Dad, could you come up here real quick? <clears throat> We're going to just ask the Holy Spirit to come in our midst. And I've asked my dad if he, would, if he has anything that he would like to say or do. I have a few, but I'll ask you first. Okay. Just very simply... If you, in the last while, when I say last while, it could be last weeks or last months, have, there's been a new desire kindled within you for more of God, or just for more reality, or just more. I don't know what words to describe it, just for greater reality, but it's a desire that has just come to you. 
You're not too sure at how it started or where it came from, but you've started to experience that. It's not like it's every day, but you could be driving in your car, then all of a sudden you just get this desire inside of you. God, I just want to know you more, or I just want reality. I feel like God wants to touch those people. But I also want to say that please, if that is you, don't wait for something to happen to you before. Don't wait for something to happen to you and stop doing what you're already doing. Don't wait for something to happen to fulfill the desire, but you're not going to do anything in the meantime. Jesus told a parable about the seed of the sower, and he said it's a seed that went out. And he said if, if anybody hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the devil comes and takes it away. But that word understand means experience. The revelation of the kingdom is often spoken of as a living seed of another world that carries new possibilities. And when a person hears the word but doesn't understand it, the enemy has open access to that seed and snatches it away. In our culture, we define understanding as head knowledge or cognitive knowledge. But in the Eastern culture, the, cult, the word understanding means experience. Literally experience with your five senses. And so sometimes we, God wants us to do something when we don't fully understand everything but we have that seed of faith in us. And so I'm encouraging you continue with that that you're already doing as you wait for the more. Don't stop what you're doing so the more can come. Do you understand where I'm trying to? It's very important because it's what you already have he wants you to give out before you experience more that can come in. I don't know how to say that. I don't know if I'm... Yeah. Understanding also means to heal to something before you can explain it or define it or describe it. So you don't have to know it all, but I want to continue to do what I'm doing. What, I, the, what you've already given me, I will continue to do while you're stirring more inside of me for more of you. That's all I felt the Lord gave me. So. I wonder if... Um We can just kind of pray. And if you just sense the presence of the Lord on you, or when you become aware of him, in a, in a sense, you just know his presence. If you could just stand, whenever that is. Father, we, we ask you for your spirit. Lord, we thank you that you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray right now, because of what Jesus has done, that you come to flow in this place in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.